deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. You know, every week we we listen to music from the Loomis Zach, who actually do. you know who gave us that music like ten years ago now. When you think about still it, still kicking. Ten years, still kicking. I mean, yeah, in different forms. But now we're still, as we say every week, going back to our roots, looking for ways to get back on live radio to not just be a podcast, but live radio. Why? Because the truth comes out in live radio. That's why we actually do YouTube live at the same time because. Stuff has been said on the show that would never be said in pre-processed stuff. And people people, people who they wanted to hate came on the show and showed vulnerability. And they're like, oh, I can't hate that person. So that's why we do live. It's more authentic. Authentic. And if, like we were joking before the show, if somebody has to go to the bathroom, you even get that. It's real. It's real when people have to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's kind of funny, but it's kind of true. It is true. It is true. It is true. It's only going to go. Exactly. So what do we got going on at the Queen City Curio? In case you're wondering, where are we broadcasting from, Zach? We're broadcasting from 607 Gerard Street East, Unit 401, 402. We got the whole floor mostly. Most of the floor is ours, you'll see. And with that, what we got coming up, we have one, your tarot workshop tomorrow, sir, talking about divination. That's still a tarot series for anyone that like to become a sponsor you have access to all that plus three years of content depending on your sponsor level we have multiple tiers then we also have the luck buddha attunements or change your luck attunements where we will be doing through january it's actually on sundays also for the whole month of january buddha rituals of luck to improve your luck through the year and then we also have i don't know yesterday last week almost got possessed Buddha gonna do what the Buddha gonna do. Bold head, Chinese dude. I don't have the belly yet, but maybe, maybe. I mean, you you were pretty close. Like, oh, I was on the lot. It was, pretty, it was, it was uh, pretty intense. So it was pretty intense, especially going through all those realms. I was like, I'm going to the next realm. There ain't no holding me back. All the beings of yeah. the is gonna get some luck. And then what do we have going on on the twenty seventh? Well, we have your famous Massa Chaos Baphomet. My Massa Chaos. He's Car- Carol's Massa Chaos, but that's okay. It's yours when you're doing it. I guess so. Yeah, it is mine. But yes, lots of stuff. If you want to, um, you can come watch the show live. We'll put the big screen television on, and we'll put the, the sound on, and you can kind of watch it on our, our screen live while we're kind of doing the show. Kind of ask questions if you come here in person, in person. So, you know, that's this that's the deal. Come in person, you can kind of see these, ask questions. You'd be like an audience participation, and we totally encourage it. So, you know, maybe not spam me, but you know, you maybe not hammer people when they're the presenters when they're here, but you know, you can ask questions, which otherwise you couldn't do on a podcast. That you can, that you can. So today we're talking to fellow Canadian. Usually it's always US people we have on the show, but today it's a fellow Canadian. So get dropped out the A's. You can. I, I'm a transplant. <laughs> I have not earned the right to drop the A's. But we had uh Israel Flame. I was on his podcast now a couple months ago, more than a couple months ago. And I had a great time. And I said, Hey, why don't you come on our podcast? You're kind of doing some interesting stuff in Alberta. Uh, and I know it seems weird. We're talking about our cult store in Alberta, for those of you who are in Canada, which, I mean, he's got a funny story about that. But they're really doing a lot of interesting things because his occult store uh, doesn't source a lot of the stuff that's in the store from China, which is a very different thing. They're actually using maker tools. And if you don't know what the maker community is and what maker tools are, We'll talk about that today. So this is kind of an in-house manufacturing where they manufacture almost everything they have themselves. And that's pretty cool. And we said, hey, let's talk about that because that's pretty cool. And the fact that store out in Alberta, 
which is not, I mean, for the people, all of our U.S. listeners, that's sort of like being in our Kansas or Mississippi or something. It's roughly the same, right? Is that right, Zach? Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd probably say it's like, yeah, your Midwest type of vibe. North Dakota then. Yeah, yeah, that's probably closer to it, actually. All right, very good. So, still, that gives a context of not usual place you'd think of, of a bastion of, of cult innovation, as it were. So welcome to the show, Azure. Azure, I'm sorry. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Like, like I said, I think it was really cool that a lot of the stuff you make, you're all automated. It's all in-house. Everything's produced right there. Yeah, we, that's one of the things that I really wanted to do if I was going to do the occult thing, you know, publicly is I didn't want to be every other shop that you see. You know, you, wa you walk into pretty well any occult shop nowadays and you're guaranteed that you're going to see that section of the store that every other store has. Right. And I just I didn't want that. And I mean, obviously, we we still carry your incenses and all of your things like that, that, you know, they are mass produced. But I also make our own in-house. We have, you know, pretty much everything that we do is we it doesn't leave without me touching it or us touching it in some way there's nothing that you'll usually find here that you will find in other stores and in fact lots of stores are now starting to pick up stuff from us because of just how unique it is and we do make custom things for other businesses that you know then those businesses you'll never see their stuff in another shop either right so nice nice it's kind of interesting because we were talking a little bit about the lasers and and that's what I mentioned in the preambles. Like you're using a lot of maker tools, which involve industrial lasers and involves, you know, cast and die equipment in some cases, uh, probably laser cutting too. So these are all kind of cutting edge tools that people are using for like to build engineering tools. And it's kind of interesting because you applied that to actually a lot of the stuff you have in the store, like, uh, you know, laser cut stone, laser cut wood burn items that you can then get a lot of precision on and they look very good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of probably there's a lot of traditional, you know, talisman makers and stuff that are going to be like, oh, that's not going to fucking work. But, you know, like, honestly, sorry, can I swear on this show? I guess I should have asked that. So until we get back on actual radio, the answer is yes. Once we get back <laughs> on actual radio, then the answer would be like, beep, 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 beep. Right. A little delay. But yeah, you can't tell me that, you know, Solomon, if he had the ability to use lasers and CNC machines and water jets and things like that, that he wouldn't be building some pretty badass shit for his temple. Right. And he wouldn't need to necessarily have enslaved all of the gin to do that. So, you know, it's, uh, I like taking the old and merging it with the, you know, the society is moving along and I believe that the occult and the magical community should move along with it and we should adapt. I mean, technomancy is very much a real thing in our time. You know? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, and that's kind of an interesting take because that's that's radically different than a lot of the traditionalists, especially ceremonial traditionalists. And, and, and you do have a lot of ceremonial engravings that are, well, quite frankly, we'll put some pictures up there. I'll share the screen. They're pretty awesome. So if you're watching the video, you'll be able to see some of the work. But they're pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I'd buy them. And that said, like... But it's definitely not traditional. And we should talk about that for a minute because this is a perspective that, you know, no one's going to say, you know, hey, Andrea, do you, do you think you should do things by the book? Well, I wrote a book on hands like chaos magic. Obviously, I'm all about let's innovate and make the tools a little easier. But this is belief that like some people would actually object to. And maybe we could talk about that for a little bit. There would be people who would strongly say that you can't use that stuff because that's not the traditional way it's explicitly laid out in the grimoire systems oh you kind of touched on that a little yeah absolutely i mean you you've got amazing talisman makers out there that are you know they're following it right to you know the key of solomon letter and you know they're using every bit of you know dove's blood that they need and they're using only a brass stylus hand done on the proper metal in the proper planetary hour and timing and you know they're doing full-on invocations with the angel and doing you know god form possession with them and stuff and it's i mean it's amazing stuff and they're I have nothing against that because I did it that way myself a long time and that's how I got to where I am now. But, you know, I think that taking like, let's say a laser engraver and running it through a similar ritual as to what you would do with your brass stylus 
and consecrating it and invoking those angels and having them to imbue their energetic signature into the working machinery of it, I do believe that, you know, that can and does work. And I have a number of clients that would attest to the efficaciousness of the talismans that we do make here. So it's, you know, it's where do you want to draw that line? Where does it become no longer the magician doing the magic? And, you know, it's the spirits doing the magic. Where do we draw the line of where the talisman can draw the spirits into? You know, why, why can I not draw the energy of Archangel Zadkiel through a laser beam, but I can do it through a brass stylus. What, what is the metaphysical reasoning behind that? And if we look at things based on, you know, frequencies and stuff like that, I can hit a number of different frequencies with my laser, right? So if I'm hitting the proper frequency, doing the proper amount of passes, my energy is pouring into the machine as I'm using it. It's going through, you know, the entire circuitry of the machine while I'm in possession with that angel. How is that any different than me holding that stylus? Well, Zach knows, like, I got an iPad Pro for Christmas, and I've been using it, it is as a beautiful mirror. thing. And I've been using it as a scrying mirror. So you're talking to the choir here. But why isn't it different? You know, if someone has to do this, these tools in a traditional way without a CNC machine, you're going to spend $1,000 on the talisman. That's out of reach yep. for, I would be out of reach for many people, I think. Absolutely. And that's, you know, kind of another thing was when I was hand doing these, you know, we were in that thousand dollar ballpark, you know, I put a hundred hours or more into crafting a talisman that can only be done at a proper moon phase with the proper planetary timing. And I now have to take three, four, five months to make this talisman because I can only do it within two, possibly three hours of a day, once a month. Well, now you're adding that's a five thousand dollar talisman right yeah, exactly right. whereas i can you know throw it in my machine here have it cut cast dyed laser engraved and all done and i can pop out three of them within an hour well now we've gone from a thousand dollar or a five thousand dollar talisman to 50 to 100 dollars, and the efficaciousness is very comparable so although i think that the classic traditional talisman makers might argue they would argue that point the efficacy but i would argue as a chaos magician that there's probably efficiency versus ultimate power and once you get past a certain level of efficacy it no longer matters as in most people would get the results they want i think that's what you meant too like yeah like they're they're comparable they're i wouldn't say that they're equal and I mean, obviously, we all know anyone who's made talismans, the more time that you put into it physically, you're holding it, that energy is running through you, you know, you're in possession with, say, Archangel Zadkiel or Archangel Michael, their energy is pouring through you, the longer that that metal is in your hand, and that energy is creating a exactly. certain with you and with that tool, the more charged it's going to be, for sure. And I will not argue that point at all. And it's, you know, that's just time, energy buildup of that frequency but now you've got that talisman it's made it's made in less time but now if you're frequently using that talisman you're invoking those spirits that are tied to that talisman and you're putting in hundreds of hours of work with that talisman i would argue that then that charge is going to increase over time absolutely like at that point at that point you're kind of i don't want to say democratizing and otherwise elitist kind of magical system which is ceremonial magic in a lot of cases uh, if you do everything by the book and then you're basically getting the tools in the people's hands and they can kind of take it from there so even if it's not 100 as as good as a classical solomon tool they still get a lot out of it and they can do their own invocations to kind of boost it up well Absolutely. and it makes it accessible too i mean that is a democratization of sense you got something to start with as a battery and going from there. Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at it, a lot of people get into doing magic and making talismans and things like that because they're coming from a place of poverty and they want to be able to increase their station, right? So now take the worst money magic you've ever done. I guarantee you it's going to make you 5 to $10. So now the next time that you use that magic, if it's going to hold a charge, maybe it makes you 10 or $15. And then the next time you use it, it's going to maybe make you 15 or 20. You're still increasing the profitability of that product by increasing its energetic signature. So if right. we're looking at it from that perspective as well, you know, yeah. there, 
you're not going to make a million dollars when you buy a $50 talisman, but you might over time. Right. But you wouldn't make a million dollars with paying a thousand dollars for a talisman either. So exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, people would argue the point about that one, but I'm, I'm with Zach and I think I'm with you as real that I don't think you could buy a thousand dollar talisman, but until you spend the time to actually get it to be attuned to you, it's not really going to produce that kind of, that kind of magic. And so there's still, there's this process that you still have to go and work with the talisman, Wh whether you're getting a machine-based talisman that, that has the machines blessed or a Solomonic talisman, you're going to have to work with it before it actually, it, it really completely works with your energy. I mean, absolutely. And you need to think of it more as a mediating force between you and the actual spiritual, you know, forces that you want to be connecting to. So even though it's a mediator, it's not necessarily going to do everything that it says just sitting there. You know, I know a lot of people that have made Solomonic talismans the traditional way, and then they just let them sit in a cupboard and they don't play with them. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, this Solomonic shit, you know, it, it's kind of okay. It worked for the first few weeks. Then it just stopped working. It's like, well, have you? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> have you talked to them? You know, like if I'm your buddy and you invite me to your house once a year for Christmas, you know, I'm gonna probably drop off a gift at Christmas and then. Not I mean, I mean, that's kind of funny. I mean, it's like this note that is a notion actually in ceremonial magic from some mm -hmm. people that yeah, you could just you make it once and then that's it for your whole life. I mean, you're describing essentially is the same to me. Like, okay, the tank runs out of gas. Like, like, or you haven't talked to somebody who's sitting in the corner for like three months and they're like, want money now? Like what? You know, like relationship management talked. 101. Exactly. Right. You know, like, I mean, if I haven't talked to you in five years and you phone me up and you're like, Hey, you know, Azariel, I really need to borrow a thousand dollars. I've hit a really, really tough spot, you know, but I, I promise I'll help you out later when I can afford it. And it's like, okay, well, what have you done for me in the last five years? But now if you're my buddy that every Friday night we go to the pub, we have a pint, we sit down and we bullshit and, you know, we decompress and, you know, I built a deck last summer and you came and you helped me do that. And now you phone me up and you're like, dude, my car broke down. I can't get to work unless I have a thousand dollars to fix it. I get paid in two weeks. I'll fucking pay you back. You know, I'm good for it. I'll see you at the pub on Friday and I'll buy you drinks. Fucking perfect. You got a thousand dollars. I mean, this is actually like getting to like, I mean, obviously in other traditions, you don't have this issue. Like obviously in voodoo, we know goddamn well, you cannot let your talismans just sit there. You have to feed them and think about them. And this relationship management's more front and center. And I think from the demonology community, not the classic ceremonial magic way deem people work with demons it's also right there you have to keep the relationship going in some sort of way and i think that's true in most traditions actually that you have to keep relationship going and you have to kind of uh keep it going otherwise like it doesn't quite there's a sort of period of sorry about that right like that life got in the way and i had to go and i reconnect with them and then you ask for a thousand dollars after you apologize a lot to say you know mentally i was screwed in the head and and the spirits are very understanding where you go, well, yeah, it was me. I was screwed in the head, but I really, you know, like I just couldn't get my head straight to come to you. And they're more forgiving. But yeah, the attitude that like, hey, just do this with the talisman and that's it. I don't, I don't think that like, it kind of goes in the same way that as a chaos magician, I know it's wrong. Sure. I'd like to have gold discs for every king goetic spirit. That'd be fantastic. Can I get to work to work without that yes <laughs> like yes i can you know can i uh, use a cnc machine to to engrave a beautiful looking uh, a beautiful looking seal or plate yes will that work yes yes and then then what matters more is exactly what you're talking about that relationship seems to matter a lot more a lot more than the than the especially after the initial juice of the talisman's gone Absolutely. And I mean, people don't realize that even when they're carrying around these talismans, they're actually still engaging with them. So that, you know, some people would argue that, you know, I don't actually call upon the spirits. I don't actually sit down and scry with them in my black mirror. I don't actually, you know, call them up and do stuff. But I would argue that that's not the case in most cases. You know, if you get a Jupiter talisman or a solar talisman or something made for money, and you where are you going to put it? You're going to put it in your wallet or you're going to carry it around in your pocket. 
And every time that you are putting out a request for money verbally out loud, those spirits are going to still pick up on it. And you're still having a two-way dialogue, whether you realize it or not. Right. So oh, I think it's even, I think, it, I think it's even more than that. Right. Like people openly fondle the talisman when they're thinking about, Oh, I need money to pay rent. Right. Like, exactly. what is that? Like, that's emotion plus intention, even if it's not a formal summoning, which means the spirit is directly being contacted. I think you're absolutely right about mm -hmm. that. 100% right that, yeah, at that point, you're activating it by thinking. You have the emotion behind it. You're putting the thought and energy. So what that it's not happening with a black, black mirror? It's still happening. Exactly. And, you know, and we could argue medium and everything else too. You know, every, people say these have to be made on the proper metal, et cetera. But if you read the actual texts, what else does it say? Virgin parchment. Well, so if I can write this on any fucking piece of paper and I can charge it in the day and the hour and call on the angel or the demon or whatever is ruling that sphere and it still works with that piece of paper. Now that that's where my wheels really got turning with manufacturing and experimenting. Cause now yeah. if that piece of paper works, why does it necessarily have to be silver for the moon? Why can't I use perhaps a moonstone or why can't I use a liminal wood such as birch, which is used in just about every culture in the world as spell paper. The bark is used for, you know, talismanic spell paper. The wood itself has been used for centuries as a talismanic wood. Why can't I now use that? And, you know, then other cultures say that, you know, it's not a lunar wood, it's mercurial wood. Well, now that's even better because when can you consecrate every fucking talisman on a Wednesday in the hour of mercury? So now we've got a mercurial lunar wood that has the ability to transcend all of them. Why can't I practice and use all the other ones? So I actually went through and made a bunch of different talismans on, you know, tons of different types of woods and have been playing over the last, you know, couple of years with different mediums. And it's been really eye-opening and surprising that a lot of what we would consider not okay for these projects actually does get results. Is it the same result with all of them? Absolutely not. But some of these materials have yielded better results than I've gotten with the proper metals. So, you know, people might accuse you of being a chaos magician like they do me. <laughs> I mean, um, but, that, but that's that's very interesting. Like, I mean, first of all, there's a couple of interesting things I think you said there. First of all, clearly you're testing the, the experimentation of these things over and over again. You make it and you're testing it, which if you got a CNC machine, eh, that's a nice privilege to be able to have, right? You could make some <laughs> other stuff kind of test it out and see what you're doing uh, so i mean i think that's that's pretty interesting in itself like um because that's not that's not just that you just print them on whatever actually testing the materials to see you know what's working what's not clearly you mentioned birch so i think that's one that probably has worked better than you expected birch and slate stone are two that have kind of blown my mind in their efficaciousness for a wide variety of different types of talismans and amulets. They've worked with, you know, stuff from the Greek magical papyri. They've worked with stuff from the key of Solomon. They've worked with things from the Galdrabach. You know, I have tried a number of different traditional talismans on them and I've been surprised almost each and every time with birch and with slate stone. You know, that doesn't totally surprise me. Slate stone, sort of holds energy well yeah and doesn't sort of not too opinionated of a stone well and slate is also if you look at how it's formulated through you know time it actually goes through a process of all four elements so it's a balanced creation of all four elemental forces which for a lot of these things you're either calling upon the four demon kings of the earth or you're calling upon the four main archangels of the cardinal directions so if you've got full-on balance of those energies already it's very readily ready to receive those energies from all four directions, right? Right. Well, let's take a segue because, like, visually speaking, people like can hear us talking about it. But let's let's let me share my screen a little bit so actually people can see some of these CNC-based machines, the creations, which are pretty cool. Let me. This, if you're listening to radio. Well, this particular today, well, guess what? You get more if you were live. <laughs> if you're alive, if you're alive. So we'll try to do our best to describe some of these. Um, this was one of the ones 
So this is a solar talisman from the greater key of Solomon. And right. that one is for creating empires and growing dignities. And it's made on actually a gold plated metal is how I was able to do it in a much more affordable way for people rather than doing it out of, you know, solid 24 karat gold type thing. Right. That one's too small, but there's a bigger yeah. picture of that. There's a bigger picture. And so that's yeah. a ritual, obviously using one of the slates. Yeah. So this is a slate with the four seals of the four Cardinal Archangels from the Grimoire of Armadel. And then with our candles, what we've done is we've found a way to actually create labels for the candles that are printed and consecrated and made in the proper days, times, and hours. And then we adhere those to wax. And then I put them through a consecration ritual on the proper day, time, and hour once they're put together. So if you look into old types of hoodoo and conjure, you'll see that they use the Solomonic pentacles quite often with candle spells. And so I wanted, to, you know, kind of chaos magic my way into how I was doing that. And it worked out remarkably well, actually. This is another type of spell, somewhat Jupiterian. Yeah, so same thing here. This is, I believe, the first pentacle of Jupiter, which if you look at its description in the Key of Solomon, you'll see that it opens up to all of the powers of Jupiter. And so you would conjure Archangel Sakiel here, and then you put a candle in the middle for Sakiel. And then obviously the Hebrew names on the outside are the names of the four ruling Archangels of Jupiter that rule under Sakiel. So you're basically conjuring the five main angels of the Jupiterian realm here. And so you can do right. pretty well any type of Jupiter work with a setup like this. And I mean, that's, um, this is a, like for the people listening, this is basically a laser engraved. It's on the slate with four candles and fifth seven day candle. Um, very clean slate stone. Yep. This is clearly, this one is clearly a demonic seal with a, with an N. Uh, so yeah. And so then, you know, there's another, you know, topic of contention are ends efficacious. Are they not? One thing that I have found is that when we do put the ends on them, the energetic signature does change. We have actually had multiple people test it and the energetic signature of the actual altar tile does seem to change and the energy comes through a little bit hotter, not necessarily better in any way, but it's definitely a hotter feeling. So I don't, I don't know if we can attribute that to the thousands of people around the world that are using the ends now, and maybe there's an egregore built behind them, or if perhaps these are actually truly demonic tongue that have come through. We don't actually really know. The only one that can really answer that is Stephanie Connolly, but you know, well, as far she'll as be on the show next week. <laughs> <you want. laughs> so what I can say is that it does change how the energy comes through on these. She's not the only one. This actually. A lot of the ends originally comes from her teacher, Dukant, um, which is still controversial, but yeah, she just collected them all as the first person who kind of collected them all. But this is a great looking like seal too. Like here we have another kind of, this is another interesting yeah, triangle. Yeah. So this is actually conjuring triangle from my course, yep. the devil's witchcraft. And so if you look at it for those of you on radio that, aren't seeing this it's basically i've taken a witch's three ring compass or circle that's your outside then i've got a triangle of art in the middle of that and then within it is a square if you look at the basic design of it you'll see that it's actually the philosopher's stone and then with and then with that i've got the three secret names of hikate that is seen throughout the pgm or the greek magical papyri for a number of hecatean conjurations then on the triangle where you would normally see the name of Archangel Michael in ceremonial magic, I have the words of that are most associated with Typhon Set. And then within that, I've got the three seals of the Infernal Princes or the three grand chiefs of the Grimoire Verum. So that most people that work that system know that they rule over the world in Africa and in Europe and Asia and in the Americas. And then in the center of that, in the square, I've got the names of the four cardinal demon kings, Egan, Paimon, Orines, and Amaimon. And so then within that, you can actually use this for charging your own talismans. You can use this with a similar method to Trithemius's method for conjuring spirits into crystals. 
works quite well with this setup actually. And then you can also use this of course for your evocations and conjurations, whether you want that to be in a crystal, in a black mirror or in your incense smoke or whatever. So it's actually a very versatile seal and I've tried making it on other surfaces and none of them have worked quite as well as the slate. Slate worked the best. Slate works. This one's a little too small. This is, uh, yeah. yeah. So here, here's another conjure candle that is made with yeah. an image that one of, actually the art team for Arendelle Overman did this. This is from his illustrated Grimoire Verum, I believe. And then what we've done is we've taken the seals and everything and we've turned these into conjure candles for doing basic spell work because one thing that I have found is, you know, and the ceremonial magicians would argue it, that, you know, unless you get full visual manifestation, you're not going to get the results from these demons. But what we have found is that using a conjure method with the demons, calling them with an actual invocation, and then giving offerings like you would with a normal novena has actually been rather efficacious. So it was an idea that Arendelle came up with and we ran with it. And it's been, I mean, we have hundreds of five-star reviews on them, so. I would agree with that general token. Yeah. And again, some of the very people who said that you that you had to have full visual manifestation later said that they were they recanted like Joseph I forgot his name, I think Peterson or whatever, basically later recanted that he didn't actually they didn't really get the kind of things they were saying. So that's kind of one of those notions from ceremonial med magic that people say a lot, but in practice, like yeah, simple novena will get you a pretty long way with some offering with most goetic spirits at least and the grimoire verum spirits yeah absolutely and i mean if you're working with them in a you know respectful manner you're giving offerings you're building up a relationship with them and you're working with them like you would with any other local spirit or whatever you're probably gonna start seeing results and you know it's kind of like i said with the buddy that you go out for a beer with every week versus the buddy you only see every five years now, your mileage will vary. It will, for sure. If you're a brand new occultist and, you know, you just light up the candle and you're like, Boone, I really, really want $100,000 this year and I want a new raise and I want a new job and, you know, what, funny. What, why is this the way? It's funny because you'd be like, it's funny, but it because everyone mentions him first, almost always, like all the stories start, seem to start with Boone. It's always Boone or Klonik, right? Like it's, it's like, yeah. no no other spirits exist in the Verum or the Lesser Key. That's, you know, we have to use those two right off the bat. But now it does seem that way. It does. For sure. And now all of a sudden, if you've taken and you've given offerings to Boone and you've lit a candle for him every day for a month, and then you're like, hey, dude, I need a hundred bucks to take my girlfriend out for dinner. I'm a little bit short this month. You mind helping me out a little bit? Boom. All of a sudden, you get a hundred dollar check in the mail from a GST return or something. It really is that simple. And it can be that simple. And I think that that's sort of like, I'm 100% would agree with almost everything you're saying here. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think that's one of the things people don't want to say, right? Like they, cause they would have to admit at least partially, like, you know, some of us in the eighties who were saying this kind of stuff were right. And then, and then second of all that, like, you know, it comes to a point where you said, well, why did I spend 500 hours on this talisman? When, when I could have just, you know, did some novena candles for like a half hour, you know, every day and, and kind of mm -hmm. maybe just the mantra work, the end work for a half hour got pretty good results after, you know, a few weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, add some Tibetan Buddhist mantra tech in with your ends and you might be really surprised with how good your results are, right? Ends work really well with Tibetan mantra techniques. <laughs> Actually, they do. They do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Like, especially if you're really good at qigong and you can really get your body energy. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to get the demons to show up with an end with Tibetan or you know qigong type techniques of mantra work, or or, or classical Hindu mantra work techniques. Like when you start actually combining the texts, they all of a sudden get results pretty fast. Even the even calling angels could be the same to say to say the same thing if you can use the angelic name as a mantra, like you'll start seeing it gets 
different results than what people would expect. Like, Oh, for sure. Or even if you want, like, let's say you want to work with the Shemham Farash, pull out the Solemns in Hebrew, use the Hebrew Mm -hmm. words and use that as your mantra. And you will be amazed at the results that you will get within minutes. Yeah. For for all intents and purposes, for most people who don't know Hebrew, that's going to be barbarous tongue already. So your mind is going to just get confused almost instantly. Like, what are you doing? I don't get it. And then if, then if you know anything about linking your body into it, it's there. You'll get there fast. That's been my experience too with the Shemar Forest. Like you'll get there fast. Um, now, one of the things we didn't cover is like, you know, we talked about the slate. Now we know that slate stones the way to go. The way. But, but how did your, your mat, your name at Azrael flame come about? Um, that was actually in an initiation that I went through with a local family-based coven hereditary line whether i want to believe that or not is still up in the air but you know i went and did this initiation with them i had trained with them for about five years and it was supposed to be my priesthood initiation and i actually got buried alive was part of the initiation and so it was a very shamanic type initiation and when i was in my tomb and i was you know in utter darkness and pure silence and you know, basically the only thing that was missing was the mushrooms with a heroic dose. And it would have been a little bit crazier, but you know, it was very, hey, very, hey, you're in Alberta. <laughs> yeah. I think you can't, you just get them like, well, you know, that's neither here or there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but for this particular initiation, no, we did not use entheogens. And I was in this tomb for 24 hours and you know basically during that time you lose all perspective of time space everything and i mean you're completely sensory deprived for 24 hours basically right so what ended up happening was i astral projected out of my body and did you know probably the last 12 hours out of my body and during that time what happened was i had whether you want to call it an epiphany with my holy guardian angel or a meeting with my holy daemon or maybe i just you know, had a psychotic break, who knows. Um, But basically what ended up happening was I met up with these spirits and they started, you know, giving me attunements and removing past life baggage and things like that. And what ended up happening was they said, now going forward, we're going to give you a new name. And Azariel was the name that they gave me. And they said, you're going to be, your role in this tradition is going to be the keeper of the mystic flame. And so they said, so we're going to call you Azariel Flame. And I had not planned for this. This was not a thing at all that was on my radar. I wasn't going to change my name for the magical community or anything. I actually thought having a magical name was pretty fucking hokey at one point. But then when I came out and I, you know, had a few days to let that integrate, I started, you know, doing the gematria and the numerology and everything else on it and really looking into it. And Azariel Flame actually lines up perfectly with my life path number of one, if you're into numerology. And it completely matches all of my astrological data, and it completely fits me 100%. So I took that, you know, there's one coincidence, okay, maybe I am projecting this, two coincidences, eh, it's probably still me being a little bit psycho. But at three, when you get up to three, that's it. You know, it's like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll just, you know, take your advice. We'll just go with this. And, you know, that's kind of how the world has known me at large since. It's kind of interesting because that's a very similar theme in a lot of initiations. It's this 24 plus hour level of isolation and darkness, you know, that create that. So, well, you might not believe or know whether or not they're heretical or not. They can use at least techniques that sound yes. pretty realistic to me. For yeah, a life birth reverse. If you look into a number of different shamanic cultures, being buried alive or going on a vision quest while fasted or things like that are very pervasive in a number of cultures around the world. So yes. I mean they did they did use real tech, it got real results. I definitely did get an initiation. Like it's you know, when I walked out of there, I was not the same person. There was right. a night and day difference. Which for anyone out there who is getting initiations, if you don't feel a difference after, even if you're getting a Reiki initiation, wait, wait see, we're gonna we're gonna are. pick on that. We're gonna pick on that, right? Because we literally our Reiki program takes you two years to get through. Because fuck it, we don't do weekend initiations. Like you're either 
going to learn it the right way that Yasui taught it in Japan, or you don't, we don't teach it. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so we're, yeah. we're a little persnickety about the Reiki because we're like, people will be like, well, why does your program take two years instead of a weekend? Because you have to learn how to do energy work. Yeah. And, and people's you, lives change after the first attunement a lot. Oh, it's massive. If you actually do it the way that Mikhail set out for us to do it, it's a massive undertaking and shift. People get, you know, attunement sickness for months afterwards if they weren't properly prepared. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like we have, we have people in our program now that were like, yeah, you're not ready yet. You're like, you still have to learn some basics. You still have to get the energy work down. So you don't get sick for months. That was just what we told them. And they're like, come on, it's a Reiki tomb. We're not going to get some sick for months. We're like, oh, yeah. If it's here's, done some Qigong, here's some Qigong for you just to test this theory out. So, yeah, that's totally it. But any initiation, really any powerful ritual that you attend, really any powerful ritual can get you sick for weeks. Like oh, if the people know what it means, if they know what they're doing and, and you don't. That's not to say not to do that. Go get sick for a couple of weeks so you start get those spiritual development. Well, and, and your yeah. energy body will catch up to that after. But I mean, if you're not prepared for it, it will definitely, definitely make you sick. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about in the occult circles is, you know, something that, you know, I, I stole the term from Magic the Gathering because I'm a nerd, but summoning sickness. People that start doing channelings or actually, you know, fully embodying gods and things like that. They can get sick for months afterwards. If I have a I have a real good theory of why people don't talk about this. If you want to hear it, I would love to hear it. <laughs> because people aren't doing it. Like the couple people who are actually doing it uh, and actually do real magic are in the vast, vast majority online. Like, so like to have the submarine sickness, they would after the first time they would probably already know that something real happened. But that's not that ninety nine percent of the people who probably read books they, they don't necessarily actually do the summoning right and that's why that's why no one talks about it because it's just yeah we're talking about it because clearly we've had shared experiences where we've gotten sick for a couple weeks you know and it clears out and you're okay you know but i don't think that's common i think that's common because we're doing magic but not common for people who don't like there's a lot of librarians out there and there's not a lot of occultists that's you know how I, well, how I often put it. Said here, said here. <laughs> live radio once again. Live radio. I, mean, I actually call them lifestyle accessories versus actually magicians or actual witches. Or magicians. Um, I, I just say it's a lifestyle accessory. It's a popular lifestyle accessory night right now. Well, and I'm, I'm sure you guys see it all the time, especially being over there in Ontario. You know. It seems to me like every Becky or Karen that's on a weekend retreat out there is, you know, they're a Reiki master now and they're doing online attunements and, you know, they have hundreds of clients and whatever. And, you know, those clients go and they're like, I don't, I don't know if I got anything out of that session or, you know, I have Reiki level three, but I don't feel any energy. And it's like, I don't think you have Reiki level three. I really don't think that you have. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting because my wife is, happens to be the same. Becky. <laughs> uh, when she got her her first attunement, she's like it was like a triple, just it was barely anything. And then we did her attunements, and she's like, "Wow, that's such a difference." And I mean, that's not to say that Reiki is kind of an easy one to pick on because there's always these, but there's as many people doing angel attunements that are yeah. Screwing around with that, that, that there is with Reiki, as far as like, here's your half hour attunement to become fully an angelic master. Certainly seen that. Uh, Reiki is an easy one because everyone's doing it kind of like to say that, you know, first of all, Reiki is a, is an actual path based around esoteric Buddhism, which actually is brutal. And Reiki is in itself pretty transgressive if you're actually doing it right, because you have to confront all these like issues up front but no one wants to say that you know and you're right it kind of comes across as like uh here's your weekend pass but then there's so much of the occultism that we could say similar right like here's your weekend pass oh. your your pre-scripted experience yeah that you leave the experience and nothing has changed like you're not changed there's nothing that's happened 
nothing that's different. It was fun. It was like a play, you know, maybe like a bad play for most rituals, right? Or a lot of rituals. And that's it. You go home. It's pretty safe. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm sure you have seen that a lot, especially being that you're initiated into voodoo and all of that. I mean, when you're at a ceremony like that and somebody gets ridden, that's that's real. That's there is no there is no hiding the fact that that is actually happening. Whereas, you know, there's other it's damn scary, too. It's exactly. not damn scary. I love it. And that's why I got initiated to voodoo. Right. I personally <laughs> really love it. Like, it's awesome. But if you've never seen it before and there's an agoon with a, a freaking knife in his literally six inches into his rib cage, uh, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Like, you know, or, yeah, you know, if you come out now at our store, we do private invite only voodoo rituals. Um, but if you're here at a ritual at the store and we're doing an invo possession ritual for Fat Gay Day and the Barons, and you, you see uh, me get possessed by the Baron and drink half a bottle of Pinman, which is 21 head rod head popper rim, that mm-hmm. even the smell makes you cough from so spicy. And you're like, how the hell did they drink all that? You're like, this is not really easily faked. Like, you know, or them saying things, right? Or them like the law saying things that shouldn't even be known that you only know. So having out loud foresight outside on the out loud, you're like, yeah, this ain't Kansas no more. This is real (laughs) stuff. But it's interesting if you carry that through. Like you can get similar results from the Norse spirits and the Hindu spirits and a lot of different spirits when you go that far. But then again, when you go that far, like there's always risks. It's not the Hollywood risks or what people think. It's just the real risk is that you're uh, the stasis of of the safe kind of, I don't know, fake magic kind of goes away. You just can't, you can't assume that everything's going to stay the same then. Well, and then the other thing too, is you always have the people going, you know, is, is magic safe? Is this actually like a safe thing? Well, it's as safe as anything. No. You, you can get hit walking across the street. You can get in a car no. accident every time you get in your car. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen every time you do it. But sometimes, you know, when, when that spirit comes through and it wants to ride your bones because it has a message for everyone in the group. You need to let it happen. Yeah, it might, might be truly in uh, a little bit of aftercare. But I mean, that said, is martial arts safe? No. Right, people, you can you can get hurt. Can you get hurt in a basketball game? Yeah, like all these things that are participatory have some risk. But I think I generally think that the risks of the occult, uh, the risks of magic in the occult, are way overblown. And I think there's, I'll just say it, there's probably political reasons. You know, not just politics, but I mean occult politics. You know, yeah. the fear sells probably more books. The, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff, like. It sells a lot more books that if you actually practiced it, it would probably not do that. So, I mean, I, I hate that p- so many people say that magic is so dangerous, to, even to the point to talk about technomancy. The chat, de- the chat PGT algorithm refuses to give you answers about anything occult because the algorithm says that's a dangerous topic. Again, so that bringing it out is we're talking about a lot of technomancy today, but when you bring it out, it's kind of there here's this cultural idea that this is totally dangerous and, and why like now first I think, you know, there's a lot of other culture that themselves feel like this is dangerous, but I, I think that those people are misguided. Actually. I think the miracles that you can achieve through engaging with occult practices are phenomenal. Like you can actually change your life. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. You've seen your clients come to you. They come to the Alberta store and their lives get changed. Oh, absolutely. And I, I love actually that you just brought up martial arts because that's one of my favorite ways of relating it to people. Because you get you get people that come and they're like, I tried this spell that you told me to do and, I, and nothing fucking happened. And I'm like, okay, so did you try it again? Did you tweak what you did last time? Did you try changing the way that you pronounce the barbarous words? Did you get yourself into a better mindset when you did it? Did you actually try and make connection with that spirit when you did it? And people have this weird thing with the occult that they think that they're going to do this the first time it's going to give them unbelievable miracle like results because it's thaumaturgy it has to but they wouldn't approach anything else that way 
They would never, ever walk into a jujitsu class and be like, I can kick the shit out of all of you here because I watched UFC last week. Yeah, they wouldn't do that with they wouldn't do that with learning a language. They wouldn't do that with piano or learning an instrument. They wouldn't do that with art. But yet, actually, I think this is a product of what we were initially talking about, too. This is still this goes back to the, the product of the talismans and the notion that, yeah, if you make it exactly correct, it's going to work. I've never actually seen that happen. Like it'll work, but not exactly the way you expect. It's like people don't understand that all of this is a process that acts upon you and you're acting upon it. It's not some, you can't hate the miracle. You can't hate the process and expect the miracle. Well, I think this goes back to your Hollywood perspective of magic. It should be, poof, there it is. And we never have to worry about this ever again. And that's definitely been something of a cultural media. Absolutely. And just because you have magicked one situation doesn't mean that your entire life isn't going to change to match that situation. And now there's new things that might need addressed, right? Right. And in fact, if the magic worked, if you change one situation, it should ripple and change the dominoes of all situations in different ways. Exactly. Like, like if you get a new job, could possibly change your friend network. And not only that, it could change your relationship with your significant other, right? Mm -hmm. Like for better or worse right all these things could change it could change your health too all these can can change right with just a new job and that's one spell exactly and and you know that's the other extreme of it too is then people some people do go out and they do that one spell and they miraculously change their life and then all of those dominoes start to fall and they're like what did i do wrong and it's like no Nothing. You, you didn't fucking Nothing. do anything you got your result and this is the result of that result or it's necessary components of the result. Like you cannot get the result without all these things. Exactly. It's sort of like everyone wants a magical pill to change everything in their life without embracing the process of change itself. Like, so let's change this, but not have anything else change uh, versus the idea that embracing the process is what is kind of the important thing that leads to the result. It's an attachment to situations that are probably already not the best and when you actually go and change something in a different thing it has to change those situations that already should change like because the vibration your whole vibration is changing across all the spectrum all the systems absolutely well how the time flies it's already seven o'clock so <laughs> asriel do you have anything going on in Alberta that you'd like our listeners to know about? Well, we've just moved to a new location. So if you are here in central Alberta, come and check us out. We're now out in the country away from the hubbub of people. And we're going to be starting to do classes in person here. We're going to be doing Reiki classes. I'm going to be doing treatments and stuff here again. So there'll be lots of new exciting things here. We'll probably be a destination for people on weekends. So if you are in this area, come and check us out. If you're not in this area, check us out anyway, because we have an online store where we sell all of the stuff that I make and that we talked about at the beginning of the show. And I have a course coming up that's starting on January 25th. If you're interested in traditional witchcraft with a little bit of sorcery from late antiquity mixed in. It's called the devil's witchcraft and we'll look at a whole bunch of mythologies and stuff for working with different de devilish figures for your sorceress practice and other than that that's pretty much all i got on the go for this month because you know i'm taking a little bit of a break because we just had the busiest season of our life moving the store out here so moving is never never going to be easy never. it is not no. so stay on for a little a few minutes now, Zach, what do we have going on in Toronto at Queen City? Well, at Queen City, we have your tarot workshop series continuing tomorrow. We also have our luck Buddha series continuing tomorrow for the month of January. So that, that's what we got coming up. And, uh, and for the, on the 27th of January, if you're any level sponsor, we're doing in-person Massive Chaos Baphomet. And it will probably yeah. be a possession ritual. Yeah. You know, I met Zach at a Mass of Chaos Baphomet. We did. My wife at a Mass of Chaos Baphomet. Nice. So, after that, we are starting our basic witchcraft classes. So, we're going to have more basic stuff for a while. So, you'll be able to, if you're a sponsor, you kind of come to all the classes. We can pay for them a la carte. 
stuff like pendulums, tarot, again, less advanced tarot, a whole bunch of herb classes because everyone who's a sponsor has been begging us for herb classes herb. all time. So we're going to teach herb magic classes, not just Western herb magic classes either. Chinese medical and Taoist magical herb classes will be on the forefront too. And since we're going to have her on the show next week and she's going to make a guest appearance July 1st, we're going to start summoning in every two weeks all 72 demons of the Goetia and go by through them one by one with Hardcore. anyone who's... Yep, anyone who's a chin sponsor, which Stephanie is going to help us kick off that actual series. She just went through all 72 demons through on demonology.org, and she's going to come and help us go through all set, not at one day. We're going to do it every two weeks. <laughs> one day, 72. I mean, maybe in the future, but not anytime soon. You know, either that would be. The probably the most garbage ritual ever or like it would take three days and it'd be i don't know you'd yep. need adderall to finish that ritual you'd need oh, adderall but we're going to do all 72 one per one demon per two weeks so there, there's a little bit of study it's going to be like a full here's here's the workshop and, and actually doing actual in-person summoning and uh, you know after the show i'll probably talk to you know, Azrael, and see if we can get some little slate demons for, for everyone who's participating in that, you know, to carry that, you know. So we're going to see what we could do, maybe negotiate it. A little, maybe not tonight, but soon, you know. Um, and so then, so basically, if you're in Toronto, there'll be witchcraft classes and kind of stuff classes, what do you call, every, almost every week. Obviously, we kind of talked about Reiki a lot. Like, if you want to be part of our Reiki program, uh, we do do a two-year apprenticeship Reiki program, which is a little bit different. If you're interested, reach out to us. We can talk about it. We do interviews. Your money is not actually good enough to get in the program by itself. You have to actually interview. And then we, we have a conversation about whether it's right. And then we'll work on the money aspects of it. Like the money's secondary. Like there's volunteer opportunities. There's other stuff to make it work, but it's much more of an apprenticeship program. So you have to, you have to interview like you do for an apprenticeship. And then, then we'll work out the money stuff later as a secondary concern. Yeah. So just the way I think you see, we did it <laughs> more like that. Uh, and the last thing obviously is as it turns out, like Zach mentioned the Buddhist ritual that was kind of off the hook for the luck Buddha ritual, but the golden mountain Sangha, has been has got basically a, some sort of Buddhist or Hindu ritual scheduled, sort of from now through the whole year. So if you want to do Buddhist rituals with some, a few people who actually know Buddhism and and sort of know kind of sorcerous levels of, of Hinduism and actual Taoist possession rituals, this Golden Mountain Saga here is kind of doing a whole bunch of that. So if you're interested in that stuff, come by 40607 Gerard Street. Fourth floor, we got the whole thing. You can't miss us. Just come here. And that said, with that, you know, uh, things getting a little kind of weird again with COVID. So, you know, stay healthy, stay well, and we'll see everyone next week. With, who got mentioned? Stephanie Connolly. <laughs> Correct. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario, proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East, Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help. Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books accessible anytime the store is open check us out online at queencitycurio.ca be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door you never know it may just come to pass <laughs>